believe in one God, the Father Almighty. You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. God of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life to come. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in your goodness, you have laid out truth for us. You have revealed yourself. And in this creed, Father, we see your goodness that you've exposed to us through your word, that we have sung about today over and over again of who you are. So, Father, will you in your goodness open our ears and our hearts to receive your word, those far from you and those in need of faith today, which is every single one of us. Be good to us. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, Cole shared about the humanity of Jesus, how we see the greatest expression of God's love in the God-man, Jesus. There was a point that he made that I thought was, was so good, and, and, and the grace of God was really illuminated in this point where he said, in the humanity of Jesus, why is good news for us is that the king of the universe is a man. God, man, Jesus. And he goes on last week, he went on to talk about how this king of the universe is sitting on the throne with victory reigning right next to the God the Father. And he's awaiting his second advent, his second coming, a time where instead of the first advent and his first coming, his first coming was with peace, and his second coming is going to be with judgment. I don't know about you, but as I think about judgment, uh, lately, especially with everything that's been going on in, in news and media, and then even in my own self-righteousness, uh, I don't know, I've just had this, this, this huge sense of uh, the justice of the Lord, or the justice of God. And um, I think it's easy for us to play judge. It's easy for you to be a judge. It's easy to deem people guilty, to, to point out flaws and wrongs. It's easy for us to see the sin in our brothers' and sisters' lives, to, to criticize 
people for their mistakes, to, to have a ton of justice with no mercy. Having laser-like focus on the transgressions of others, but no grace or empathy. Blind to your own transgressions, blind to your own sins. You, you and I, we tend to, or just for me, let me just call myself out, I tend to live with binoculars, not living with mirrors. I tend to, to have a lot of spiritual foresight for others, but I tend to be void of personal insight of my own stumbling blocks. Easy for me to have a sense of justice with no awareness of personal guilt or godly grace. But today, as we look at this third stanza of the creed, we get a little help. Like we shared, Cole shared about portion A, talking of the humanity of Jesus. Now we go to portion B of this third stanza, and he was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father, and this Jesus shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. Today, I want to focus on the work and role of Jesus. Why is the work and why is the role of, of Jesus important for us today? Judgment. Judgment. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. That's every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what does that mean? Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So all of sin, and sin is deserving of death, which means we're all guilty. Romans 3.25, though, For God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. So the creed goes, Christ suffered and was crucified. Christ was always God's plan A. There was no other plan. Jesus came to die. We see it all throughout the scriptures, not only in the gospels, but it speaks of how Christ came to die even before Christ became flesh. Isaiah 53, it speaks of this suffering servant, the way that Jesus was to come and to be crucified, to suffer a gruesome death. It says, he was despised and rejected by men, or by me. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom I hid my face, or men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken. He was smitten by God and afflicted. But talking of the crucifixion of Jesus that's to come, he was pierced for our transgressions, for the things that we would do wrong. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement. As a result of his crucifixion and death, it brought us peace. 
and with his wounds, you and I who believe in Jesus Christ are eternally healed. All like sheep, unfortunately, have gone astray. We, fortunately, are guilty just as Adam is guilty, and we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth as he went through the gruesome death on a cross. Innocent, very willing and able and capable and probably could have spoke and said, I'm, I'm not the guy. I don't deserve this. But Christ stayed on the cross. And verse 10 says, this was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And as a result, out of the anguish of his soul, shall we be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Many shall be accounted as righteous because of the blood of Christ, and he shall bear their iniquities. What we understand, I mean, we see it, we hear it, we know it, Every single day, we're present with this reality as Christians. We all know that we are sinful and broken, and humanity and creation is sinful and broken, and because of that, we need God. God who is perfectly holy, righteous, and just. And opposite of that, humanity who is imperfect, inconsistent, double-minded, idolatrous, sinful, and guess what? Uh, there's nothing that we can do to appease the wrath of God and his righteous demands. The only hope that we could have, the wrath of a holy God, the only hope that we can have to quench that wrath would be what we've talked about throughout this whole creed. God would have to come down to save mankind. He would have to be our rescue. He would have to take on flesh to deal with flesh so that we could be pardoned. He would have to take our penalties so that we could be deemed innocent. He would have to suffer in ways that we deserve to suffer, die a death that was meant for us, rebellious mankind. He would have to come down. A pursuit in love that no other gods ever have pursued, to come down in a personal way to save mankind. You and I today are more guilty than we could ever recognize, and more love than we could ever perceive. If we could just be reminded of that truth, if we could be humbled and exposed of that. As Christians, we would do well to think often of Christ, of his suffering, meditating deeply on his suffering and not allowing it to stray from our minds. Hear this, this is a simple means as we meditate on the suffering of Christ, it is a simple means to experience deeper levels of profound grace. This is the food that our souls need. It's the, it's the, it's the drink that we've been longing to satisfy us. It's the sweetness that we've been craving in the pleasures of this life. It's the consolation that we've hoped for as we meditate deeply on Isaiah 53 that speaks of the suffering of Jesus and what he's come to do for you and I. Thomas Brooks helps paint the value of Christ's sufferings 
in his book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. He comments in vivid details, and he says of Jesus, the head of Christ, before which angels do cast down their crowns, should be crowned with thorns. Those eyes of Jesus, purer than the sun, put out by the darkness of death. Those ears, which hear nothing but hallelujahs of saints and angels, were led to hear blasphemies of the multitude. That face, which was fairer than the sons of men to be spit on by those beastly, wretched Jews and you and I in our rebellion. That mouth and tongue, which spoke as no man spoke, accused of blasphemy. Those hands which freely swayed the scepter of heaven, nailed to a cross. Those feet unto fine brass, nailed to the cross for man's sins, each sense pained with the spear and nails. His smell with stinking odor, being crucified on Golgotha, the place of skulls. His taste with vinegar and gall, his hearing with reproaches, and his sight of his mother and disciples bemoaning him. His soul, Christ's soul, comfortless and forsaken, all for those very sins that Satan paints very fine colors upon. Oh, how this consideration should stir up our affections to love God and to hate sin. The Creed makes mention of Pontius Pilate, and I think for good reason. So I don't know about you, but as you hear of what Christ came to do and his perfect life and all of the things that he's done that's wonderful and good for us, sometimes it's easy to say, is this even real? Is this even true? This is not a myth today. It's not a fictitious novel or folktale, it's not a legend or a fantasy, but it's literal and it's been documented and it's a true historical fact that Christ came to come and die. And this description of this Roman governor and official helps point out that at this point in Pilate's ruling in historical time, Christ was crucified. Beyond this primary means, for, for, for Pilate to, to make a legitimate and truthful claim, the role of Pontius Pilate is much more than this. What he also does is that he helps bring in the role and make manifest the saving work of Jesus Christ. We see in the Gospels, Pilate's role is not merely to be an official or to ensure some historical reality of Christ's passion, but to also display key aspects of his Christology that he was very, in fact, God. Pilate's documented, and it's shared in the gospel that Pilate sees Christ as innocent, and it reveals the guiltlessness of the man who would die for many. It is also uh, described in the gospels uh, as even though Pilate sees him as innocent, he turns him over to the Jews to be crucified as guilty. Pilate not only brings out the Savior's suffering, humiliation, and ultimate crucifixion, but he also today represents and reveals Christ's true kingship. That he's the glorious king of the resurrection. Peter proclaims in 2 Peter of the glory of Christ and the prophetic word of him 
and the fact that, hey, this is not a myth. He says in 2 Peter 1.16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses. We can find assurance and confidence in the work of Christ because of the historical legitimacy of them and the eyewitness accounts of what Christ has come to do. These witnesses not only were eyewitnesses of his crucifixion, but also his resurrection. The creed said he, he was buried, and on the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. After the burial and death of Jesus in Matthew 27, we see that they try to prevent the Jews and, and, and the Jews from making this story and claim that Jesus is going to raise from the grave. So they do whatever they can. They seal the tomb. They get guards there, and they're saying, hey, it's not going to happen. But you can't thwart, you can't thwart the plan and purpose and will of God. We see in Matthew 28, the angel said to the women who came to see Jesus, guards had already left afraid. He says, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Come, let's see the place where he lay. Christ's resurrection today for us is the assurance that we need that the work he did on the cross was completed. That sin and its resulting death for us, physical and spiritual, was fully overthrown. He not only died and was resurrected from death to life, but the creed as well as the scriptures say that he ascended into heaven to reign as king over all. Christ's resurrection and ascension for us is what gives us life and is what gave the New Testament writers what they needed to be able to be martyred, to experience suffering, and to speak boldly of Christ. We see in, in, in Acts 2, after Pentecost, or the sermon at Pentecost, following the ascension of Jesus, Peter says in Acts 2, verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, Peter says, Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, he says, you crucified. What kind of boldness Peter had to say, to say to their face, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised this Jesus up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Goes on to say in verse 27, for uh, or verse 28, you have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Then Peter says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence, because that spoke of David, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to, to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, which is Jesus, he foresaw, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. That he, would not, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did Christ's flesh see corruption. This Jesus that God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Cole mentioned last week the ruling and reigning of Jesus. 
the ruling and reigning of Jesus at the right hand of the Father as he awaits this second coming as judge for those who haven't received him, for those who haven't, haven't received the assurance of what Christ has done, how do we respond to this good news? How do you respond to this good news? May we respond to it as they did in Acts 2 with an awareness, an awareness of not others' sins, but an awareness of our sins. Verse 37 of Acts 2. Now, when they heard Peter, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we talk about the work and role of Jesus, what we're saying is that Christ was meant to be a substitute for us, to take our place, to complete a work that went unfinished by mankind, to be a model and example, to be a mediator before God the Father, to accomplish redemption for fallen humanity. He is, in his role, our great high priest. He is the one who has fulfilled all prophecies spoken of him, and he reigns as king. So he lives in this role as prophet, king, and priest. So when we say this portion of the creed, when we talk about the work and the role of Christ, what we say when we say we believe, I believe this God-man, this personal, lived the perfect life for me. I believe this, this, this son of man, he was the perfect lamb of God, demonstrated his own power over sin, nature, Satan, disease, and death for me. I believe this ruler of the universe incarnate was arrested, beaten, tortured, convicted in a kangaroo court, hung on a cross for me. This sinless substitute took my sin upon himself, suffered the equivalent of eternal hell, and laid down his own life for me. I believe this fountain of life rose from the dead for me. This man and king of the universe now reigns with all power and authority at the right hand of God the Father for me and the church. And this God invites you, invites me today. It's simple to rest in his word. We need this truth today, personally and as a church. The reason why I realize I might have this great sense of justice and maybe you may have this great sense of justice and, and lack mercy is because you probably graduated from the gospel. Like, it's just not good news. You probably outgrown that this is something that, that you need every single day, but Montrose, we never graduate from the gospel. And we never outgrow this reality. Believer today, never forget what Christ has done and is doing on your behalf. Jesus has crucified sin and defeat. He has resurrected our joy and hope and can resurrect it if you ain't got it. He's ascended to give us as the church assurance and perseverance. And he's returning not only to enforce justice, but to gather his people. Our God has covered the ground of doubt and given us the hope for today and tomorrow. May we humbly receive Jesus.
unbeliever today. Not sure if it's an unbeliever here, but Romans 10, 9 through 11 is for you. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses, I believe, and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Humbly receive this truth. Let's pray. Father, what gift of grace that we have received in your life, your death, your resurrection, and your ascension. Father, it's so easy for us to think that we just need that one time. But Lord, the reality is, is that we need that truth and that grace every single day. Father, your justice is not without mercy, and we have received that mercy and grace daily. Lord, in just the mere fact of us waking up this morning, we experience new grace and new mercy. And you are extending yourself this morning. You're allowing us an opportunity to hear of your truth and respond, to take Jesus. So, Father, may we receive Jesus today. He's our all in all. At the end of the day, it is all we need. It is all we need. We need nothing else but, but Jesus and his work. And the reason why the Christian faith is so good is because you lead us to a finished work that we cannot. It is done. It is finished. You, you, you bottled it up at the cross. You, you made sure of it in the resurrection. And you, you hold victory as you reign with the Father. May we not miss that or forget that. May you keep that on our minds today. So as we come to the table, continue to remind us. Continue to wash us with your grace. May we take with joy and gladness. May we see other brothers and sisters in the room and see that we are not alone. That you have called us to a family. That you have adopted us. That you have loved us. And that we see your great love and mercy through the blood that was shed. Through, the, through your body that was pierced for our transgressions, for my transgressions, not the person next to me, but for me. You did it for me. Father God, may I not forget that you did it for me. May I see the mirror and see, God, 